How many of you already picked up your Bible and opened to the book of John? Y'all already done that? Well, I'm going to throw you a curve. Go to the book of Acts this morning. Take a break for a week or two from the book of John. Those that are visiting with us, we uh, have been studying uh, John chapter 13 through 17 for several months now. And uh, every now and then I think it's good just to kind of take a break and and to look at something different. And so I wanted to do that this morning. Uh, open your Bibles this morning to the uh, gospel, uh, to the book of Acts, pardon me, not the gospel, but the book of Acts chapter 2. Book of Acts chapter 2. Those of you that uh, are familiar with uh, where and how the book of Acts uh, lays out, you'll know that uh, the book of Acts chapter 2 covers the day of Pentecost when uh, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that event that, John, uh, that Jesus has talked about so much in the Gospel of John, uh, talking and, and reminding the disciples, now listen guys, I'm not going to be here, uh, but there is a comforter that's the same kind of comforter that I am, and he's going to come, and he's going to lead you, and actually when he comes, you're going to be able to do greater works than, than, than I have even done here. And uh, so that day that he's been talking about, we've been studying for quite some time, in the book of Acts chapter does come. I want us to begin reading this morning, though, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, begin reading in verse 42. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." Uh, let's go to the Lord in word of prayer and again just ask his blessings upon the reading of his word and our time of study it, uh, studying it together this morning. Brother Stewart, would you lead us in that prayer, please? Amen. I want us to consider for our time and our thoughts this morning when God's people are truly committed. When God's people are truly committed. I, in, in reading and studying, preparing for this this morning, I was looking back at some of my notes and some, some illustrations that I've used and read down through the years. And uh, I, I thought about the one where the preacher got up and he introduced his sermon title for the morning and began to talk about introducing the sermon and so forth. And he said, read with me, if you will, Romans. And he goes to Romans chapter 12 where uh, Paul encourages us, he beseeches us, he begs with us literally to, to give our lives as a living sacrifice unto God. And so as the preacher was introducing his sermon, he said, well, I, I understand what Paul wants us to do. He said, but I just really have one problem with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And, of course, every eye in the building just got this big, and, and eyebrows were raised, and uh, our preacher saying he has a problem with a, a verse in the Word of God. But he went on to say this. He said, the only problem with living sacrifices is that they often crawl off of the altar. Let that one sink in for a minute. We lay our bodies as a living sacrifice often to just take them back again, don't we? Someone once... Uh, was reporting uh, a conversation to interview that, uh, with a concert uh, violinist in New York's Carnegie Hall, how she became so skilled. She said it was by planned neglect. The interviewer said, 
pardon me? She said it was planned neglect. She planned to neglect everything that was not related to her goal. That's a pretty good definition of commitment. Planned neglect. If it's not going to accomplish my goal of living for Christ, I plan to neglect it. If you'll allow me to personify a dog for a moment, a certain dog had always boasted of his ability to run uh, and, and to be a fast runner. Then one day a rabbit that he was chasing outran him and got away. This brought a lot of laugh and ridicule from the other dogs because of his previous boasting. His explanation was simply this. You must remember that the rabbit was running for his life while I was only running for my supper. Someone asked me this week, Matter of fact, two people asked me this week. It was rather odd that, both, you know, that two people asked me the same question. They came to me, or one called me and said, Bro, Jeff, I know so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And she, well, she, both of them were she's named off four or five families and couples that were getting a divorce. And she said, what's going on? And I said, well, there's a lot of reasons. You can't just single, give one single answer to this. I said, part of it is, is, we don't take time in the dating process now that we used to. You know, people used to date for a couple years before they get married. Now they meet one another in a chat room somewhere, and, and, and they see each other four or five times, and then they're engaged, and they get married. And there's not that sufficient time to find out for sure, is this person suitable? Is this person, uh, you know, going to agree with me and think with me in, in spiritual matters and, and things like that? And, and so taking the time to slowly get to know somebody before you marry them. I said the other problem is, is I think a lot of people lack the commitment. And I went on to say this, to them, it's just words. I do. They're just words. They really don't carry any weight or any bearing. If you got the news article that came out this week, we talked about Samson and all the potential that he had and the vows that he had made. And yet, through his life, those vows became very... Uh, well, but he took them very lightly. And, and, well, they're just something I said at the time. We, when we were baptized, when we came to know Christ, you may not have actually said, I promise to. But when you were baptized, you were identified with Jesus Christ, and you took upon yourself some vows. I wondered this morning as I thought about this, how would the modern world define a child of God being committed to God? If we were to ask a poll of, say, 5,000 people in Arkadelphia, that'd be half its population, and you didn't single out a, a, a demographic, you didn't single out those that go to church, you just simply, first 5,000 people you came to, do you know children of God? Do you know people who profess to be saved, church-going people? Would you consider them to be dedicated? Would you consider them to be devoted? And if their answer was, well, yes, then you followed up with another question. Well, what evidence is it that makes you say that they're devoted? This morning in our text from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, I think we see some evidences. It's not just that Luke records that they were devoted but he says they were devoted, and here's how we know they were devoted, and he lists those things in the next few verses. So I would ask us each this morning, 
not for us to compare ourselves with one another, not to make sure that we're at least in the top 10% of devotion of all the members of Faith Missionary Baptist Church, but am I devoted, am I dedicated to the cause of Christ the way that I ought to be? And if so, well then here's the evidence that would back that up and prove that. We are not left to wonder what God expects of us. I'm amazed at sometimes how many people will misquote scriptures and say, well, we just got to be still and wait for God to reveal. Most of what you and I are supposed to do as children of God has been revealed. It's called the Bible. It's here. <laughs> this is the faith. Now, yes, you're not going to find in here, should I buy this house? Should I buy this job or take this job? Should I go to this church and pastor here? Should I do this or that and the other? There are some specific revealed words, uh, wills of God for our lives. But we stumble around trying to figure out what it is that God wants us to do, and God's already told us what he wants us to do. The problem is, is we're not quite as interested in doing that part as we are in, in other parts, perhaps. The commitment, the, the dedication. Luke describes in chapter 2, verse 42 of, of our text here, he says, and they continued steadfastly. Other translations will have there that they were dedicated or they were devoted. Uh, they, they, they had a zeal and a loyalty in their attachment to Jesus Christ and to his will for their life. They had, they had come to know him as Savior. They understood that by being saved that they were now to, as Paul said, reckon themselves dead unto sin. And those things that I used to do, I'm not supposed to do them anymore. Those, thing, those ways that I used to think, I'm not supposed to think that way anymore. Those activities that I involved in, I am a new person, a changed person, and I no longer... Now, here's the, here's the real crux to it all, if you want to get down to what, where it really it's just the base elemental thing is, before you were saved, you lived for yourself, just like I did. Every, I, don't care who, I don't care who they are, every human being, they may, they may do goodwill to others, but I'll promise you when it gets down to it, if they are lost, they live for themselves. But when we become a child of God, we no longer live for ourselves, we live for Him. And so how, how zealous are we to that? How, how, how devoted and, and how attached, how loyal are we to that? And unfortunately, in our world today, the answer to that is, well, it depends on what else is offered to me. What else is offered to me? Churches across America are experiencing the very same thing that we're experiencing right here at Faith. And that is, where's our numbers at? And numbers aren't everything. But we have decreased in Sunday school attendance. We have decreased in Wednesday night attendance. We have decreased in Sunday night attendance. And we have decreased not only just in our attendance here, but, but in other areas of service to him. Is the commitment all that it ought to be? I'm not your judge. The Lord is your judge. The Lord is my judge. And it is to him that we will answer. But I, I would encourage you, I would plead with you this morning 
at least, at least listen to scriptures and be honest with God. Be honest with him and honest with yourselves. The Bible says that they continued with a devotion and a dedication to the teaching of the word of God, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and in prayers. They had a, a, a commitment to do these things. Now, the way this is worded in verse 42 is the, the, the term uh, that they continued steadfastly is a participle. And so it, it shows a time uh, signature here. And what it literally means is in verse 42 is while they were being devoted to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, while they were being devoted to these things, while they were being committed to these things, here's what happened. So as we look at those things that happened, we will now see the result of people that are truly devoted to the teachings of Christ, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. We'll see, and all we got to do is now take our life and say, okay, here's the evidences, all right? And I can check them off as actually being very present, very active in my life. And if I can't, well, then I have to face the truth that perhaps my living sacrifice has crawled off the altar and has walked away. While they were committed to these things, here's what they did. The first thing that I noticed is in verse 43. And there's probably not a church in America <laughs> that's going to emphasize this particular part of it because it's not something that would first come to mind, at first especially, nor is it something that we want to teach and we want to preach and we want to believe. Something happened in my generation, and I'll own it because it was during my generation. Something has changed in my generation that people go to church now for what they can get out of church, and they go to church to be made to feel happy, and they go to church to be uplifted, and they are go to church. And listen to me now. We ought to be happy when we come to a Lord's, serve, uh, Lord's house and his services, and we ought to be uplifted. But you know what? Sometimes to uplift me, you've got to tear me down first you got to show me where I truly am and then show me by the Word of God how I can be lifted up. We are so, as a, as a, as a world and as a religion, as, as churches today, we are so focused on how to have an upbeat worship service in songs that we have forgotten that the Bible says that the beginning of all wisdom is what? Fear. I wonder what would happen if, if we had a marquee out there like a lot of churches do and we put that, that, that we were going to, you know, that, that fear was one of our, 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 our calling cards, if you will, the fear of the Lord. I wonder how many people would be interested in that. If you put out there that, you know, we'll have a, a, a band and a praise and worship team and a this and a that and the other and, and, and all that and the other, man, they'll come flocking to it, won't they? But just put on a marquee that we still emphasize the fear of the Lord. And you see how many people come into a church and say, well, you know what, I saw, your, I saw your marquee out there, and I was so intrigued by it, I was so interested by it, I believe so much that I need to have a fear of the Lord, so I just came in to, to, to worship with you and, and to have that experience of learning to fear the Lord. Now, I think we have to understand a few things. We have to understand what fear we're talking about here. 
All right? And I hear people a lot of say, a lot of times in churches, a lot of God's people, well-meaning, say, well, fear just means respect. Well, yeah, it does. But make no mistake about it. I have heard many times when my dad would do this number, all right, and he would pull that thing out of each belt loop, and you could hear it, as it cleared every belt loop. And he would double that thing over. And if you don't think for one minute that I was scared of my daddy, you are flat wrong. I was scared, all right? However, however, you know that I've shared with you in my testimony how that I used to work at uh, the, the prison systems in Tucker and how that there was a morning when I was standing on what is called East Gate and it was my job to turn the host squad loose and to get them to work. And a lot of times they didn't want to go to the host squad. Uh, it was too hot or it was too cold, which ironically, if it was below 42, they didn't have to work, and if it was over 94, they didn't have to work which I thought was kind of sad and that our army and our, our, our military has to go to work whether it's over 94 or not. But these inmates, bless their hearts, we couldn't mistreat them. And so, but they, it was my job to get them out and go to work. Well, they didn't want to go to work, so often they would just congregate there on the east gate. It would be my job, go on now, get, 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 go on, go to work. And, and I, I don't mean to be, you know, uh, disrespectful or harsh, but after you tell them a two or three times, well, you quit telling and you assist them in getting off of the dock and going on to work and so I just could have bear hug on this one guy and I chunked him off the dock if that's offensive I apologize but it's what we were told to do it's what we were instructed to do make him go to work so I threw him off the dock now, I didn't throw him where he'd land on his head all right I assisted him to get off the dock a few minutes later I looked up and he's back up on the dock again what are you doing I'm telling you now, you can get off the dock and you can go to work, or your next move is to go to the hole. Isolation. Next thing I knew, he pulled a butcher knife out, and he went to stabbing, including me. When I looked around and I saw that I was completely surrounded by inmates, and every one of them had some type of shanks, knives, or their locks from their lockers stuffed into their socks and they were swinging them to hit you in the head and knock you out. I had a fear, all right? I'm here to tell you today, the fear I had standing there looking at all them convicts is not the same kind of fear I had of my dad. You know what I'm talking about? Dad would sling the leather and, and I did, I, listen, if he was going to say, guys, I'm going to start slinging leather, who wants to be the first in line? I, I'm not getting in line unless I have to. I don't enjoy that. I didn't want that, all right? And there was that fear of dad whipping me, but I never was afraid that dad was going to do something that was not in my best interest. And some reason now, we like to have the idea of a God that we do not have to be afraid of. And I think there is part of the reason why our commitment fails is because we act like God is not one to be feared. And I would tell you that the Bible says that whom the Lord loveth, he will do what? He'll pat him on the back and say, oh, I just love you so much. You're doing a good job. Oh, I really don't care if you come to church. It's all right. I don't care if you read the Bible. I just, I just suggested that if you, if you wanted to. No. The same way my daddy's taking me out to the woodshed, God's taking me to the woodshed a few times. There is that level of fear. And it's not a bad thing, by the way. But then there's also that just respect and awe of God. That same man 
that took me to the woodshed one day. And you've heard me tell this story thousands of times. It's the same one that handed me a dime one day. It said, son, when you and your friends are out and they start smoking marijuana or drinking beer or whatever, and, and, and if you'll just get out of the phone, or get out of the car and put that dime in the phone and call me. And, of course, Trevor's looking at me like, oh, what? Put a dime in a phone? Most of y'all know what I'm talking about. And if you'll call me wherever you're at, son, I'll come get you. And you've heard me tell the story that I didn't do that. Became involved in the very activity of the guys in the car I was with. When I got home, I was afraid. I was afraid. I knew Dad was going to wear me out. And he should have. When I walked in and he was sitting on the couch and he was just, just weeping uncontrollably. And when he finally could catch his, his, you know, catch his breath and, and get a hold of himself, he said, son, did you lose your dime? I said, no, sir. He said, go to your room. That was the last word that he and I ever spoke about that day. I went to my room, and I learned a different kind of fear. I never, ever again, and you've heard me say this a hundred times, I never, ever, ever again wanted to live in such a way that I would have to see my father crying his eyes out because I had let him down and I had failed him. There's that respect and that awe. The Bible says that as they were continuing in the doctrine, as they were fellowshipping, as they were devoted to this, one of the things that happened in verse 43 is, is that they developed a fear of God. Now churches can quit talking about it, preachers can quit preaching it, and we can get rid of it. But the Bible still stands as true that the beginning of wisdom starts with a certain amount of fear for God. The second thing I notice is that they, they, they had a correct or a proper view concerning possessions. I understand that nowhere in scriptures were they commanded to do this. And, and let me just tell you this up front. Just because you read things sometimes in the Bible and you see that people do certain things don't necessarily mean that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Paul was breaking his breaking his neck to get back to Jerusalem when all along God has said, I've called you to be a missionary, not in Jerusalem, but out there, Paul. Go do what I told you to do. And Paul kept trying to come back. The church made, I believe, a great mistake whenever they uh, elected a replacement for Judas Iscariot. God already had that taken care of. The book of Acts is a history book recording the history, and it doesn't mean that everything that was recorded was what God had told them to do. Nowhere was the church told to do what they did. However, having said that, can you imagine today, can you imagine today where we came to you and said, did you get paid Friday? Well, yeah. Hand it here. Hand it here. And in fact, they didn't even have to do that. The people were bringing all that they had and all of their possessions. They were bringing it to the Lord's house and letting the Lord's house distribute it as, as, as each man needed. 
Now, again, I'm not saying we need to do this. This is, listen, if you walk out of here and say that Brother Jeff's teaching, you've missed the point. The point is, is when we are dedicated to the cause of Christ, when we are dedicated to living for Him, when we are dedicated to laying up treasures in heaven where moth and thief and rust does not come in, instead of the treasures of this earth, we will be a people that do not have the, 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 the grip on us that possessions have on most people in this world. I dare say there are some of y'all that are driving a vehicle that cost a whole lot more than your house did. Probably. All right? Is it wrong? Is it bad? That's not what I'm saying. But when, when, when we are so captivated by worldly possessions, you know, my, I, I told you, my youngest daughter, she'd get a phone. She's one of those, that, am I eligible for an upgrade? Two weeks later, am I eligible for an upgrade? Why? Because this is a ghetto phone now. It had all the bells and whistles a week ago, and now it's junk, you know. I want something that has all the bells and the whistles now. Stuff. Chasing. Got to have stuff. Got to have more stuff. Got to have better stuff. These people brought all their stuff to First Baptist in Jerusalem and said, here, we trust that God will lead you to give to all the members as needed. Again, I'm not saying well to do this, but I'm telling you that they had an attitude towards stuff that you can't find in today's churches. Why? Because their commitment was not to the joys of this life, but to the joys of serving and living for God. They dwelt in unity. As you read this text, not only did they have all things in common, uh, they sold all their possessions, but we find out that they continued in one accord. And that's not, as some preacher said, a Honda. But they continued in one accord. They were in unity, one with another. Did they all agree as far as, far as the start time? of services? Did they all agree whether the thermostat ought to be set on 74 or 77? Did they all agree on whether we ought to sing three verses or four verses? Absolutely not. You cannot put a group of people together and they agree on everything completely. But on the things that matter, on the things of the Word of God, they were in agreement that we are to serve Him, that we are to live for Him, that we are a representation of Him to this world, that we are a representation of our church to this world, and that we must conduct ourselves accordingly. And they were in agreement about that. And they were in agreement about the teachings of the Word of God. They didn't always agree whether they ought to have a 30-cup or a 50-cup coffee maker. They didn't always agree as to whether a Ford was better than a Dodge. They didn't always agree on all those things. But those things that they differed on, they learned to be different without, without becoming disagreeable. And they learn how to walk out of the Lord's house and say, you know what, I still love this brother. He is my brother. How many of you got a brother? 
You agree with everything your brother's ever said or done? I mean everything down to the most minute detail. No. But very seldom do I see people going out there and just ripping their brother apart. And yet I see church people doing it all day long, every day, all the time. As we're studying John chapter 17, Jesus said when you and I can't live in unity, the world does not know that the Father sent the Son. And the world does not know that the Father loves his children. There is too much at stake for us to fight and feud and fuss over stupid stuff that we ought not be fussing and fighting and feuding over. Well, he said, well, she said, well, this one time. These people were dedicated to the teachings of the Word of God. They were dedicated to the breaking of bread. They were dedicated to fellowship. They were dedicated to prayers. And the evidence is that they had a fear that they had a correct understanding and a viewpoint of their possessions and that they dwelt together in unity. Guys, we're not talking about a church of 50. It's almost impossible to get a church the size of faith to dwell in unity. We're talking about a church that is well over 10,000 members strong and they were in unity. Don't tell me, preacher, all that's good preaching, but it can't happen in the real world. It can happen in the real world. It happened in Jerusalem world and it can happen in faith world but it won't happen on its own it won't happen without the effort it won't happen if we don't pray it won't happen if we don't come together and it won't happen if we don't learn to grow a thicker skin and not let everything get under us we have got to do these things for unity's sake and if we don't the world's out there scratching their heads saying well is there really anything to this whole Christian thing or not the unity is a evidence that we are devoted to Christ, as the text is telling us. So if that be true, and there's a lack of unity, what does that tell the world then? That there is a lack of the devotion. We'll hurry on. Not only were they devoted, but they, they, they were joyful. They were breaking the bread from house to house. Uh, they were in one accord in the temple. And they were breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Again, the idea of, notice this, the idea of singleness of heart, the unity, and the gladness. They go together, don't they? They go together. A church that is in unity is a church that's joyful. A church that is not unity, a church that is not one in heart, is a church that doesn't experience the joy that we can. When the world looks at us and says, you know what, that person's happy. That person is filled with joy. And what's amazing to me is right now, his or her life has no reason to be filled with joy. God offers something that even when we get the, the doctor's reports or even when our spouse goes down for a long period of time or even when we're, we're struggling with this or even when this happens and when that happens, God offers us a source of joy and it doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from the stuff of this world. It comes from Him. 
And if I'm in him and you're in him, we'll be right with each other and we will be joyful, even though everything around us may be falling apart. Read just a few verses from here. This is a church that began to lose members to death. And it wasn't because they grew old. This is a church that was about to feel the oppression hand of, of, of the world so that they had to flee for their lives, and yet they're joyful. It is an evidence. It is a proof that we are devoted. They were praising God. Verse 47, praising God. You know... I'm not the final authority on praising God. And I'm not, going to be, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that praising God involves this and it doesn't involve that or it does this and it doesn't do that. Talking to a church member this week and then I've talked to Brother Bill in the past who, who has attended uh, some of the, uh, the African-American churches and their song services. Let me tell you something, y'all. You get mad at me if you want to. They know how to praise God. And they don't mind. They don't mind if you watch them. You know, it's not. They're praising God. Listen, if, 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 if thinking about God and the wonderful grace of Jesus can't move us beyond Wonderful grace of Jesus. How, seriously, how, how can we not? Now, listen, I'm not talking about turning it into a free-for-all and jumping pews, shouting, hollering, carrying on. I'm talking about just simply letting the Spirit of God lead you and not be afraid to get excited about God. Oh, how we have let the charismatic world rob us of joy and blessing. They were praising God. If that's nothing more than as you're going through life, you're singing one of these mornings, you're going to find me touring that city. Or if it's, if it's in some other form or fashion, if it is God-led, praising God is an evidence that we are devoted to his teachings, to prayers, to fellowship and to breaking bread. It is an evidence. Do we talk more about Urban Meyer and whether he should be or shouldn't be fired at Ohio State than we do about God? Deer season's coming along and people will flat lose their mind over deer season. Whatever it is, do we, do, do, do we have no problem talking about and getting excited about and showing that enthusiasm and excitement about it. But then we can't get around to truly praising God. It is an evidence. Two more and then we'll close. They are having favor among men. Verse 43, praising God and having favor with... What's that next word? Anybody reading their Bible with me this morning? I hope you do so you're not thinking I'm making this stuff up. Having favor with all. Let me ask you something. Just be very honest with you. What do you suppose is the chance that just on my own, just being a good old country boy, Jeff Chrysler, what do you suppose the chance is that I can have favor among every citizen 
of the city of Arkadelphia. What's, what's the chances of that happening, just being my own country boy, Jeff Chrysler? Some of you will say, boy, that boy is a hick from the word get-go. He has no class. He does, you know. And others are going to say, well, he, he's this or that. You and I will not gain favor with all the people just being ourselves. But if I read that book right, because they were devoted to God, they were able to gain favor with all. Say, well, but wait a minute, there was, there was persecution. You just talked about that. That is true. That is true. But they were able to see that there is something that is real about these people. I honestly believe that one of the reasons why our churches are standing here trying to figure out why can we not get above 50 in Sunday school? Why can we not get back to the days of running 100 here or 150 there or 200 is we have lost favor with men because we are not the devoted ones to his work that we used to be. And it's because oh, they're just words. And, 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 and our world just has taken on so much other that attracts us and our attention and everything. Devoted means, as, as we read, a planned neglect. If it doesn't fit into this goal, right? or if it's going to be a problem for me to accomplish this goal, then I plan to neglect it. Last thing. I want you to look very closely at the bottom of verse 47 so that I can hopefully prove that these are not just the ramblings of some crazy old man. Praising God, having favor with the people, and what happened? What happened? The Lord added to the church. Anybody... Anybody believe, like I do, that God would still like to see people added to his churches? You know, we used to say that a lot when I was a kid. I used to hear preachers preach that. Oh, they'd get all fired up. I'm talking about, boy, they'd be sweating and their face would be done turned red and they'd be hollering and, and they'd, you know, when they get serious, they get them preachers pulled up about like this and they get in that position and then they get that holy chant and I can still remember some of them men saying, and God is still in the saving business. And everybody would say. So you can't even get that anymore. <laughs> we are so far removed that we've lost our cues. Am I making this up? Was that not a cue when we were kids? And God is still in the saving business. And that was a cue and everybody would say, Amen! he's still saving lives he still desires to bring people in I know we live in a tough time I, I understand that we may not have the explosions if we're going to continue to teach and preach the word of God in strength and in power and, and, and all that I get all that but I refuse to believe, I will not believe, and I don't think I should believe. I think the Scriptures bears it out that as long as God's Word is preached and as long as God's Spirit is among us, that God can still change lives. And if 
The evidence of God's people being devoted is that they grew a fear of God, that they had a proper concern, uh, a proper view concerning their possessions, that they dwelt together in unity, that they were a people that were joyful, that they were a people that praised God, and that then they gained favor with men. If all that be true, and God said after that, that's when that I added to the church. By the way, our Calvinist brethren say, see, he only added those such as would be saved, because God only will save some and not all. But the language here, again, is another participle, and God is saving all of those who would be saved. Or God, pardon me, God is adding to the church all those who uh, were being saved. It's not a matter of election here. But the point is, are we truly committed? How would the world define If the world began to talk about me and every one of our members today, would they say, well, yeah, oh, oh Jeff, he's committed. Well, by that I mean he goes most services. He, he's generally on time for the most part. Or would they say, you know, he's committed because he had a fear of God in his life. He had a proper view concerning possessions. He, he, he dwelt with, 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 with the family of faith in unity. He didn't always agree with Randy, and Randy didn't always agree with him, but they were brothers. And I know, I understand, nobody wants to say this anymore, but they loved one another. There's nothing wrong with Christians, brethren, saying they loved one another. All right? They loved one another. They lived in unity. They were joyful. Jeff was devoted. He was a person that we found praising God. He gained in favor with men. And because of men like Jeff, Randy, Bill, Dave, Sue, Sally, Linda, the Lord brought to Faith Missionary Baptist Church those that would come. The story is told of the Spanish explorer Cortez who landed in Veracruz in 1519 to begin his conquest of Mexico with a small force of 700 men. Legend has it that he purposely set fire to his fleet of 11 ships. Presumably, his men on the shore watched their only means of retreat sink to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. There was now only one direction to move forward into the Mexican interior to meet whatever might come their way. Perhaps as a part of our commitment to Christ, we as his disciples must purposefully destroy all avenues of retreat. We must resolve that whatever price is required for being his follower, we will pay it. The story is also told of James Calvert, who went out as a missionary to the cannibals in the Fiji Islands. The captain of the ship that had carried him there sought to turn him back by saying, you will, lose, you will lose your life and the lives of those that are with you if you proceed on this voyage into this savage land. Calvert's reply well demonstrates the cost of commitment. He said this, we died before we came here. I'm not afraid to lose my life. I was dead to the flesh before this started.
One more and I'll close. A mission society is reported to have written to David Livingston, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to send other men to join in and assist you. Livingston replied, if you have men who will only come if they know that there is a good road, I don't want them. Don't send them. If they'll only come if there's a good road, you just keep them. I want men who will come if there was no road at all. The evidences of a people committed. Are they the distinguishing marks of the disciples of Jesus Christ who make up Faith Missionary Baptist Church? Father, we come to you this morning. Two people this week. Why are so many people getting divorced? Because people are making vows that later on they just say, ah, they're just words. It's really not a big deal. Father, when we became yours, we made some vows unto you. And I fear now that we've adopted some of that same mentality. Oh, it's just words. And by the way, I... I, I'm not any worse than the other members there, so it's, it's all okay. Father, we get so accustomed and accepting of sin that it no longer bothers us. We become accepting of it because our fear, our respect, and our, our hatred of letting you down and disappointing you has slipped away. God, I, I pray today that your spirit would move. I, I pray that nothing happens today because of what I've said, but whatever happens today happens because your spirit is moving in our midst and we've followed your spirit. Lord, stir in our hearts now. Convict where conviction needs to be. The one here today that does not know you, that today would be the day that they would come to know you. And we ask all these things as our members begin to stand very quiet and we begin to sing. May your will be done, Father. Amen.